video game the movie the podcast welcome 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 to a very special bonus level episode of video game the movie the podcast i am a host mackenzie eastrom i am another host nathan eastrom I am another, another host, Lexi Conwell. And today we are going to be talking about the 2023 movie, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves. Good evening. Forget everything you think you know. What? Everyone is raving about Dungeons and Dragons. It's the kind of epic fun you've been waiting for. Protect it with your very life. I will. All this. None of us can say our lives gone the way we'd hoped. I did think you'd slept longer. We got an early release. Good behavior. Yeah, bathing good. It charms its way into your heart. Oh, God, I could kiss you. Try it. The most Chris Pine, a Chris Pine performance has been in a long time. Just because that sentence is symmetrical doesn't make it not nonsense. A crowd pleaser that actually pleases. It's a gift for every one of you. All right, take me down. This is absurdly high. It's not what we discussed. It's the best movie of the year. Anything you want to add? I'm good. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. And you may be saying, Mackenzie, this is not a video game movie, and you would be accurate. That is why this is a bonus level, not a standard episode. But also, Dungeons and Dragons has had a long and important history in the gaming sphere, and as players of tabletop role-playing games ourselves, I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about this film that uh, seems to be breaking the mold a little bit for game movies, and that people actually like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also want to point out that there are video games of Dungeons and Dragons. They've been around for a while, but this is not based on any of those specifically. Hi, actual play podcast uh, runner, a big tabletop RPG nerd, somewhat critical of Dungeons and Dragons as a specific IP and specific system, but I do play it. It's got It got me into the tabletop RPG medium. It was my first RPG, as it is often, uh, because it has a stranglehold on the industry. But Which is partially the <laughs> response, the, the partially caused by a terrible capitalist monopolizing, partially just it got out the gate sooner than than everybody else and got really really popular really fast so yeah you know. there there were a few way back in the day back when all role-playing games were shit <laughs> uh it was one of the more popular less shitty versions <laughs> and then it kind of kept getting money and managed to evolve from there from what i understand of dungeons and dragons it is a tabletop role-playing game which for those who don't know, is essentially a form of improvisational storytelling within the bounds of some form of rules. Uh, Sometimes those rules are extremely light. In other cases, it is more precise, as is the case of Dungeons & Dragons, uh, arguably. Dungeons & Dragons came out of the wargaming tabletop genre where it was it was a bit more like we're gonna do some fights and it was kind of a precursor to turn-based video games where you have tactics and strategy and you've got your little fighters or your marines or whatever yeah war games like tabletop war games were a hobby of essentially the wealthy military class for some time then afterwards nerds got a hold of it 
And then nerds got it from entire battles where you're calculating losses of like armies and units down to this is your guy. And that's yeah. where and so, tabletop gaming as we know it these days really took off. You end up playing as your character. You role play as... It's basically, when you were a kid, You most people played pretend. They might have been wizards or sword fighters or... I mean, that was that was me and my friends. Uh, but maybe you all played as Pokemon. I actually I did a bit of Pokemon Dungeon. I was never a Pokemon fan, but I pretended to be Pokemon sometimes with friends. People play pretend. They have imaginary friends. This is that, but more refined, It has perhaps. rules. <laughs> it has rules where you can't just say, oh, I cast shield, or I- I've got an impervious barrier. It's like, I can do certain things, and those are, in some games, those are listed out, such as in Dungeons & Dragons. If you're a spellcaster, you have very specific spells that you can cast, and they have very defined effects that are, in theory, balanced against other effects in the game so that everyone is equally effective at doing their different things. Specifically, Dungeons & Dragons came out in 1974, became wildly successful throughout the 80s, while also becoming target of a huge uh, campaign against it during the Satanic Don't you love the Satanic Panic? Yes, the Satanic Panic. Yeah. Tom Hanks was because in a movie a... about a kid who supposedly went crazy and started exploring sewers because of Dungeons and Dragons, but it turned out that kid was actually serious? like like it was based on a real story but that guy just showed up again later. He was fine. <laughs> he didn't even die. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, don't you love get, uh, people getting really upset about people fighting against demons? Like you're n- you're not summoning demons in Dungeons and Dragons. You're typically murdering demons because they're trying to murder a bunch of other people or take over the world or pull a city, Baldur's Gate, into the depths of hell and you're trying to rescue it. Generally, tabletop role-playing games are about heroes or usually at worst, anti-heroes. Yes. So, big victim of a lot of naysaying during the satanic panic, people were convinced that it was evil. My mom thought it was evil when I was a kid. My mom still thinks it's evil. <laughs> well, your mom is a literally insane person, so we don't have to take her opinions. <laughs> I'm sorry. My mom also had her reservations about it, but I think she's come around on it now. Yes. I say my mom in a shocked way, because she was like an arcade rat in the 80s, like, sort of hippie lady but that that idea of dungeons and dragons being some kind of scary kind of cult-like thing was pretty prominent until arguably fairly recently stranger things had a really big impact on bringing dungeons and dragons back into the like public consciousness yeah uh fifth edition D D also had a quite a big impact actual play podcasts becoming a thing huge impact was also a big deal uh i adventure zone being one critical role being another one that's huge they actually referenced critical role in the movie that we're going to talk about today So yeah, basically, if you don't know what Dungeons & Dragons is at this point, Google it. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> it's, it's had a huge yeah, it's... impact on pop culture. There was a cartoon in the 90s? 80s, 80s 90s? It's strongly influenced by yeah. Tolkien. There have been uh, three ig- previous movies, two of which were direct to DVD, and the other came out in 2000 <laughs> and is absolutely terrible it is one of the <laughs> worst movies i have ever seen oh god yeah we had we didn't me and nathan watched this just kind of 
on a lark because we were going to go see Arnor Among Thieves for this podcast. And we haven't subjected Lexi to it, but we'll we'll torture them sometime. Cause we'll I'll, see. I'll see it. I am curious. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I am not exaggerating. It gives some of the Uwe Boll movies we've watched for this no. show a run for its money. No. <laughs> like, I will say this. It's not offensive no it's not not That's bad good. in those ways but I mean, it is just like in terms of its quality it is a badly made movie it's offensively <laughs> bad but it's not like racist <laughs> Okay. Um, well, uh, that is very much different from this beautiful movie. Yes. Yes. We literally just left the theater. <laughs> yeah. We, we all yeah. watched it today, so it's pretty fresh. Yeah. So this movie is set in the Forgotten Realms setting. There are multiple different settings within the Dungeons & Dragons uh, IP. This is one of the more popular ones, uh, which is probably why they chose it. Yeah, it's the main one that is used in 5th edition, Dungeons & Dragons, where they, they don't do a lot with other like worlds that they have built. They, they have a little bit, but 5th edition is kind of all focused on Faerun. Yeah. It is also what you think of when you think of Dungeons & Dragons as a setting, generally yeah. speaking. Baldur's yeah. Gate is there. They don't go there, but they mention it. Yeah. Neverwinter they do mention it. is a setting. Mm -hmm. The Sword Coast. Yeah, they yeah. go to the, I keep wanting to call it the Deep Dark. I've been playing too much Minecraft. <laughs> they go to the Underdark. It's very Tolkien-style fantasy. You got your elves, yeah. you got your dwarves, you got your wizards, you've got your halflings. Yeah, yep. who are a uh, couple of halflings who are really have really into jacked large women. <laughs> yes, Understandably. Funny. Barbarians. So let's talk our cast. Okay, so we have we are introduced to our main character Edgin, who is played by Chris Pine, and him along with his partner in crime Holga are in a highly secure prison for ne'er-do-wells and they are uh, going up for basically their parole hearing to see if they will get a pardon from the council. In this scene we learn Edgin's backstory that his wife was killed by the red wizards of uh, I can't remember what the Thane? 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 Yeah. So Edgin used to be a harper which is a organization that kind of operates in secret helping people and bringing criminals to justice and in the process of this his wife is killed by the red wizards of thane and he renounces his harper oath and decides to become a thief because that's the only way he can provide for his newborn daughter kira holga enters the story around this part and uh becomes kind of a aunt to Kira and a sibling figure to Edgin and together they join they create a group of thieves to go around and steal from the rich in a Robin Hood sort of way but everything goes wrong when they pull one last job that Edgin is convinced to do because he believes that they will find the tablet of reawakening which will allow him to resurrect his dead wife except that they get double-crossed by a sorceress who is working with one of their team members, 
played by Hugh Grant, and his name is Fantastic Forge Forge Fitzwilliam. He is hamming it up in the best way in this. Uh, he's phenomenal villain. So good in this. So good. He's very comparable to his role in Paddington too, where he's just like he just loves being an asshole, <laughs> yeah. and it's so great to see him do that. So they escaped. Notably, they were going to be pardoned. They just yeah. jumped out <laughs> a window on a bird man. A very funny uh, gag. We can get into it's this. A gr- this is part of the yeah. Dungeons and Dragoniness of it that I enjoyed. Uh, escape from the prison, and they set out to reunite with Kira, who has been living with Forge. And they don't know that Forge has been secretly allied with this sorceress that double-crossed them. Uh, they learn that he's become the Lord of Never. Winter and they get kicked out of town. Well, they they get uh, Forge tells his guards to kill them when they get to the edge of town. They escape from this attempted assassination and decide to put the band back together to break into Forge's treasure vault uh, and steal the tablet of reawakening and all of his gold. In addition to rescuing Kira from the palace in the center of the city as a form of revenge. All while the major High Sun games are occurring in the city, which which is basically gladiator ish ish like yeah. fight a bunch of monsters, nobody wins because they all usually just get eaten. Yeah, that kind of thing. So that's like they've been reinstated. That is a this, a very yeah. light. Uh, <laughs> explanation of the plot there is another kind of antagonist that comes to the forefront towards the middle of the film but i don't know how deeply we want to get into spoilers right off the bat well Mm. let's just say the backstabbing sorceress is still an evil backstabbing sorceress and it's not a subtle movie like this movie is not (laughs) hiding where it's going at any point it's not trying to like surprise or trick you except for in like the specifics of what it's doing it's just there to be a fun adventure fantasy movie and i'm so glad we have fun adventure fantasy movies (laughs) that aren't made by bigots Yeah, because it is run really well. This movie, like, it does what it's doing, which is pretty simple. Very, (laughs) very, very well. Like, it's it's an extremely good movie. I would watch it again. Absolutely. Uh, My roommate is also, like, this is one of my top ten movies. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great time. Simultaneously a fantastic example of what it's doing. And the second I walked out of the theater, I was like, is that so fucking hard? (laughs) (laughs) Because this is... Yeah. Fantasy is one of those genres that is so often done so badly for reasons I can't mm-hmm. really wrap my head around. Well, they want to be grimdark. They want to be grimdark. This is so much better. And you know what? Yeah. You know what else it has that I appreciate? It has fucking puppets. It has puppets in there. It ter- <laughs> yeah. certainly uses lots of CG, great effect works, great costuming, and it has some puppets. It has a lady in a fursuit at one point. Thank you. They made like yep. four different skeletons for one very funny scene. <laughs> well, let's get into the cast because I think that's yeah. a good way of exploring this. Because at the yeah, basis let's... of all tabletop role playing party adventures is a team of usually fuck ups. Lovable idiots. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> they really nailed the characters, which is a very mm-hmm. important part of a Dungeons and Dragons story. Since this movie is kind of a, for a lot of people, might be basically a, like, baby's first RPG experience, even though it's not an RPG. Like, the characters' backstories are very basic. They're very much, like, quintessentially their archetypes. 
but they do them well and it works again so they're not trying anything crazy here they're just doing the thing they have well yeah it's clearly made by people who know the medium know the genre and and love that genre and what i think is excellent about it being specifically more of a comedy is that nobody has ever successfully played a full campaign of Dungeons and Dragons that doesn't eventually turn into a comedy. <laughs> yeah. Like it's always oh, yeah. ridiculous because it's an improv game. It's an improv game and you're playing with friends. Like a, you called compared it to like playing pretend earlier and like yeah, it just <laughs> ends like... up with a lot of people joking at each other. You can still definitely have deep impactful emotional moments within narratives of tabletop yeah. campaigns and this game has or this movie rather has some great moments in it but it knows what it's playing at yeah <laughs> it, it fits the it fits that blend that like in a in a tabletop role-playing game there is often something of like emotional whiplash it not, not in a bad way but there there's often like this emotional whiplash of something really dark kind of probably partially scripted by the gm or whatever or like these really amazing moments that the players find that are these really strong emotional beats but then they kind of get juxtaposed with ridiculous silly funny jokes that like or, like or running gags or whatever and and that's just part of the medium that's just endemic to how structurally it works and how people interact and it's great it's a great part of the medium and this movie hits that and nails it every time <laughs> so nathan you want to pick a character and start start chatting all right, so I, I mentioned the first few main characters already. We have Chris Pine as Edgen Darvis. He is a bard. We have Michelle Rodriguez as Holga Kilgore, who is a barbarian. Is is she officially a barbarian? Yeah, yeah she is. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, we have Justice Smith as Simon Omar, who is a half-elf sorcerer. Uh, so Great job, Justice Smith. Sophia Lillis is uh, Doric, a tiefling druid. Hugh Grant as Forge Fitzwilliam, who is a rogue and a con artist. An asshole. <laughs> Chloe Coleman plays Edgen's daughter, Kira. And then we have... I think Zink is really the last major character. Yeah. Uh, yes. Reggae Jean Hot Paladin. plays Zink Yendar, who is a paladin. The sexiest man alive. <laughs> He's so hot. <laughs> There's a lot of hot people in this it's movie. Very... He is very like Michelle Rodriguez as as uh, Holga. Mm. Mm -hmm. Z uh, Zank, what was his, the actor's name? Yeah, who is the actor for Zank? Because he was something. Uh, Reggae Jean Page. Reggae. Hot. <laughs> Real hot. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very sexy movie. <laughs> also playing to the fact that most people make Dungeons and Dragon characters that are either actual monsters or very sexy. <laughs> Admittedly, they they are playing a little loose on the absolute freaks in the in the main cast, but hey, it's the first movie. We have some time. <laughs> yeah, they Yeah, we can we can get the monster fuckers later. <laughs> they toned down the tiefling a little bit for this movie, and that that was a, yeah. a bit of a controversy from fans when the trailers dropped, but I honestly don't think it matters all that much. Yeah, I had I had basically two complaints about this movie, uh, and the main one was that they didn't go hard enough on the tiefling design. She basically just looks human with some horns, and she's really cute. 
like maybe that was the right choice, but I would have preferred as a fan of tieflings and like they they tieflings are hot as like not just humans with horns. For those who so... don't know what the fuck a tiefling is, because that might <laughs> oh, be yeah. some amount of people. Tieflings They're... are essentially people who are born with qualities that make them look like a fucking demon. Like, literally yeah. like a fucking demon. Yeah. They are, they can just kind of happen. So the tiefling in this movie, Druic, was just born to a family of humans with... Doric. Doric. With uh, tiefling features, specifically. She's got horns. And a tail. And a tail. And a tail, but it's really difficult to see. Yeah, it's a tail that you don't notice until it becomes plot important. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that's kind of the deal with tieflings. And yeah, I agree that yeah. uh, she's... It seems weird that her parents disowned her, considering she's just an extremely cute girl with some horns. But right. they're supposed to be a prejudice yeah. against tieflings. They don't go into it too much in this movie. Maybe time for an- another story, you know? Yeah, yeah. Tieflings generally, they there's some kind of like demonic or devilish blood in the the bloodline. Sometimes it's maybe a curse or something that just like shows up. Maybe it's like some ancestor, like a super recessive gene that just showed up after hundreds of years or whatever. And anybody can um, end up with tiefling. Like it's not human specific. Yeah, in theory, the way that D&D 5th edition handles species is not the best. I think Pathfinder 2nd edition does it way better, where Tiefling is essentially an ant. There's like mix and match, whereas in D&D 5e, uh, which is what I'm familiar with, Tieflings are usually just humans with fiendish blood, even though that's, in theory, there should be more options than that. But, but that's that's a that's a complaint leveled at the specific system. Did you have another? You had one more issue with the movie. Did you want to go over that now? Oh, the, I guess the other issue that I had was right at the very right at the end during the credits. <laughs> uh, Hasbro wasn't even pretending that they weren't monopolizing the industry because D and D is a IP of Wizards of the Coast that is owned by. Ha- Wizards of the Coast is a company owned by Hasbro, um, but they were just like Hasbro's D&D for Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, hmm, I see after all of your other stuff that you're currently or previously doing with legal things. It was just a little thing that I noticed. It was like, ah, you're not even pretending anymore. I see. I think there might be uh, a reason for that, which is that prior Mm. to this movie coming out, there was another D&D movie project that was in the works from I think Universal collaborating with uh, somebody and Hasbro sued them over the IP rights for Dungeons and Dragons on film and eventually won the rights to make the D&D movies themselves, which is how this particular movie came about and they made it with Paramount. So it's possible that they were just kind of somewhat pettily staking a claim over it in the credits. Yeah, let's... That, yeah that's what it felt like because Hasbro <laughs> has been very petty recently. Yeah, we can take a moment a... here and say, as much as we enjoyed this individual movie, Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast specifically kind of suck ass. They've been yeah. really shitty with the copyright, and it's all very ironic because Dungeons & Dragons itself, as we mentioned, is a knockoff on wargaming. It's ex- the rule set yeah. Dungeons & Dragons uses was based on a different game called, I think it was called Chainmail, back in the 70s. D&D, one of the things that that makes people really upset right now 
is D&D's success as a game and part of the reason it so thoroughly took over the RPG space to have to the point of like 80% market share is or at least maybe that's Hasbro's market share on D&D. I don't know. But whatever. Like it, it is ubiquitous with tabletop RPGs. Most people are like D&D. They know what D&D is. They don't know what tabletop RPGs are when there are so many other options that do so many other things and will do things in certain things perhaps better than D&D does. It's the Kleenex of tabletop games. <laughs> exactly. And part of it is because they opened they they were failing back in like 2005 and they opened up their rules to be basically usable by anyone. They anyone in the community could basically modify, use the rules to create their own things. And that was a really big legal move that made them so popular because they just could you you everyone was making for it because they was free to do that. And now, recently, they have been clamping down on that. They've been trying to sneak through some things that are basically trying to get rid of that open gaming license, the OGL, which uh, has gotten the community up, up very much up in arms and sort of torched their brand reputation. Yeah, uh, the timing uh, on this is all... It's, it's all skeevy, but yeah. And the timing very much felt, at least to me, intentional that they knew this big market boost was going to be occurring because I mean somebody presumably realized this movie with a bunch of big stars that actually didn't suck was going to maybe get them attention and they've been mm -hmm. attempting to I think make as much money off of that as possible there was a summit recently a creator summit with Wizards of the Coast D&D &D, where they were showing off a bunch of stuff and uh, their new edition that they've been touting is just called 5th edition even though we already have a 5th edition not 5.5 not 6 they're just like they're uh, one D&D &D, their new D&D &D, which is backwards compatible rather than like it, it's just 5th edition it's like oh that's definitely not going to be confusing I wonder if that's on purpose it's all on fire but we're not talking about that we're talking about this great movie yes so uh, I'm going to try to get us back to the cast like I've tried like three or four times here. We don't I'm need to so make sorry. this have an order. This is a bonus level. It doesn't fit our standard podcasting chops. Although I should, I guess I should mention, I haven't actually ever played Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I've played other tabletop games. I've played a little bit of Pathfinder. It's too complicated for me. And we play, um, well, we played we are current, Genesis. We played Genesis. And what's the, what are we currently playing? We, we are currently using the strange which is built on the chassis of the cypher system from monty cook games yes. uh, uh, very different from DD, much simpler it, it does some things better some things worse it, it is what it is um it works well for what we're doing all this to say i'm not i'm not <laughs> i'm the only one on this show that hasn't played DD specifically nathan's played a little bit yes i have played it a little bit i also play pathfinder i'm in a campaign right now that has been going for over a year uh, and it's been super fun uh, but yeah all that to say role-playing games are great fun if you can find a group willing to stick it out and meet up at regular intervals to play mm -hmm. which is hard to yeah do. listen to dice weave <laughs> <laughs> it's in our our actual play podcast dice weave in which all of us are on it it's very good listen to season two in particular because that's where we really kind of got our feet under ourselves 
and have coherent storytelling. And we have not that the first season was bad, but it it's not as good as the second season. Season two leaves a better <laughs> season two is much better, leaves a better impression, might hook you more. So, yeah, Chris um, Pathfinder notably, sorry, just real quick, Pathfinder notably born directly from the rules of D and D three point five that were modified, um, and born from that open gaming license that they are they've been trying to remove, but. Anyway. So, Chris Pine, our lead. This performance is great. I love Chris Pine when he is allowed to be silly. He is the best when he's, he's so funny. funny. Uh, he is a bard, but he doesn't do basically any <laughs> bard shit. Yeah, to clarify a little bit, uh, D&D has a class system that has a lot of things going on. A lot of them have magic. Druids and bards are both magic casters in D&D. This movie um, pretty effectively uh, simplified those classes much more. He's just a guy who is charismatic and inspiring and plays some music. The druid character is just shapeshifts. She doesn't do any casting. So there are some liberties that I think worked for this movie. Yes. So just for that clarification. He doesn't do any magic. He doesn't do any magic. He does have a loot. He's pretty good at the loot. Uh, (laughs) He smacks some people with a loot. That loot goes through so much in this movie, and it comes out... (laughs) fine at the end the he is our charismatic group leader he's our star lord for guardians of the galaxy fans he is yeah he's the one who makes the plans yeah he's the man with the plan and when that plan falls through he makes a new plan and then falls back on the old plan when that one falls through but with a new name but he makes it work (laughs) and then the old plan becomes the contingency plan for the new plan what this most reminded me of for Chris Pine was Into the Woods, which as a whole I think is a movie not great, but Chris Pine's performance as the prince in it is by far one of my favorite things in it, and this captures a bit of that energy. Uh, so I was just glad to see him in that kind of zone. Uh, we have Holgar, Michelle Rodriguez, absolutely killing absolutely it. Jacked. Jacked <laughs> so good. Exactly what you'd expect from her, honestly. It's not a stretch. But it's it's Michelle Rodriguez doing what she's good at. She's she's hot, dumb, and loyal. The fight choreography in this movie, phenomenal. Her fight scenes, uh, absolutely excellent. Oh, there's a everything about this movie, uh, so good. Oh, Cinematography, man. music, choreography, set design, all of the things, excellent. Her she when you, she gets to fight, she is a a work of art. She is. It's just a, a fighting machine. She doesn't really kill anyone. They The heroes kind of make a point about not killing people. At, but she just is a storm. Ugh, so good. Excellent yeah. barbarian work. There, there's a sequence uh, where during the heist where she's battling a bunch of guards in a forge and she keeps grabbing random shit lying around to use <laughs> to defeat these guards. She like grabs a bow and snaps it over two guys' heads. To take them she punch. She grabs a bow that she punched through the stand, <laughs> the wooden stand yeah. to get. Like she is so strong. It is very. They make it clear that she is really strong. She's throwing people like three, four feet pretty easily. Yeah. And here's the thing. She's also a great mom. She's not yeah. literally the kid's mom, but the whole emotional arc by the end of the movie is, well, she was there when the kid was growing yeah. up. And it's so cute. Her relationship with it's so good. Kira is she's a, great. 
She's a big softy who's really into tiny men. <laughs> yes, this is the other thing about her character that is great. So we learned very briefly at the start of the movie that she has been banished from her tribe for falling for uh, falling in love with an outsider, but she is estranged from this person that she left her tribe for. And so they go to find Because him. she was sad about being exiled. Her tribe. <laughs> and we meet this guy at one point in the movie, and it turns out he's a halfling. <laughs> And He's easily half her size. Their version of halflings is not quite like hobbits. I mean, they're very emotionally and like spiritually yeah. like hobbits in that they seem to just mm-hmm. like but chill. Physically, they are just <laughs> small people. Yeah. Yes. CGI half the size of Michelle Rodriguez. I think that was, I think the actor was somebody. Did the actor, uh, this was very funny and not like telegraphed at all in the marketing that's actually bradley cooper yeah i thought it was <laughs> i didn't want to say it until i had confirmation bradley cooper is here but he's a half leg for like one scene and and he's and already moved on to another barbarian woman what's so very large lady again <laughs> he has a type too even, even a little bit taller than michelle rodriguez <laughs> <laughs> Which is very funny. Like, oh, it was very cute. And, you know, the scene was actually really touching. They didn't have, like, a big fight. They had this, like, touching moment of, like, hey, we haven't seen each other for, like, two years. I've found a family, and I really hope that you also find a new family. Yeah. And and it's, like, really sweet. There's no rar oh. There, there's no conflict here it's just closure for both of them and it's really touching yeah it's a surprisingly human scene about relationships that sometimes don't work out because of the pressures you put on them yeah and they're having this conversation where he's sitting in a huge chair with his <laughs> legs just like dangling in the air looking up like three feet to match the eyeline for michelle rodriguez <laughs> <laughs> but they don't like That's part of what makes this movie so great is they don't play the important moments in a silly way. They treat the characters like people, even if the surrounding situation is absolutely absurd. (laughs) Oh, yes. I do kind of want to go back. So these two are in jail together at the start of the movie. And the very start of the movie explaining the backstory is Chris Pine, Eldon, describing why he should be let out on parole stalling for time while he waits for a bird member of the council to show up so that he can throw him out of a window and use him to escape. <laughs> it's it's framed to us like this council member will be particularly Sim- important in helping us get out. We don't know yeah, why he'll, he'll... until it actually happens. And it's all unnecessary because they already actually got their pardon. <laughs> yeah. And that is, a, I think, a quintessentially D&D moment for me. where it's Very like, much so. They had a plan, and they went through with the plan, even when the plan was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, is, that is very quintessentially T- TRPG, and it, it, that kind of thing keeps happening. Yeah. yeah. Another wonderful recurring gag is Holga loves potatoes. <laughs> she <laughs> loves them. And, and we'll use them in a fight. Multiple times. <laughs> Throwing potatoes at me? 
and and that's the kind of silly stuff that will grow organically from a tabletop like in, within a group like even if you, a group is doing the same pre-written adventure things like that of oh we've got this recurring potatoes thing or in dice weave right now we have this recurring theme about hot sauce waking you up from a hangover it keeps happening <laughs> And hot sauce is just a thing in our group. Potatoes are just a thing for this this party, and it's wonderful. In my little little details like that. In my Pathfinder group, we end up burning things down a lot, so we called ourselves god. the arsonists. Oh god! And then we ended that, up that that is a very <laughs> D like D and D thing. And, Pathfinder and that, then... that's very common in, in particular systems. It's burning burning down the inn. Ugh. Yeah, but then we ended up in an encounter with a witch flame, which is immune to fire attacks. So, mm. you know, these kinds of things happen in tabletop campaigns. So, moving on to party member number three, played by the wonderful Justice Smith. And I just want to say, I am glad to see him back doing stuff. He was fantastic yeah. in Detective Pikachu, and I want I want to see more of Justice Smith. I just think he's I just think he's neat. <laughs> <laughs> he's very cute. He's he's a good actor. He's got good comedic uh, energy to him he's able to play the straight man in a way that's really compelling yeah um in this he, he is the least confident sorcerer he's, i there was a, there was one line that really summed him up beautifully uh you are a petty thief masquerading as an even pettier sorcerer <laughs> That and he has <laughs> very little confidence. He's so fun. So w one of the running things throughout the movie is that Simon has a thing for Doric and had asked her out before and been turned down because he's so he's he's so lacking in confidence that she just didn't want to bother. Your lack of confidence <laughs> is extremely unattractive. <laughs> extremely unattractive. And she he describes himself in her words as i made you sad not like because of anything i did or said but just who just i am who as a I person as a person <laughs> and she was like oh because she didn't even remember him and when he said that she was like oh, oh right <laughs> Right. She she looked a little, you know, in fairness to Doric, she looked a little bit sheepish. Like, oh, that's that's really brutal. <laughs> and I love him. He has the arc you would expect. He figures out that he's actually confident if he just gives himself the opportunity. It turns out the opportunity is just being near death. That's kind of yeah. what needs to get him going. I, I think <laughs> that Simon has ADHD. Oh, please tell yeah. Because Absolutely. He can only accomplish things when he is under such extreme pressure that failure yep. is not an option. Yep. Totally. As someone 100%. who went through university unmedicated with ADHD, I can absolutely say that is how it works. I mean, I don't know that I if I have ADHD, but since you're describing that, that is also how I got through college. <laughs> I did my final film project in two weeks. I was up till 4 a.m. every single day. <laughs> I wrote many papers overnight the night before they were due. I do remember yep. this occurring. Yep, 100%. Uh, so, so we have our ADHD sorcerer, <laughs> uh, and then... 
we have Druic, our druid. She is less developed <laughs> than a lot of the other uh, yeah. characters, but... She's extremely cool. She's really rad. She can turn yeah. into an owl bear. I know some fans were angry about that. Shut up. It's cool. <laughs> it's it's yeah. great. Her deal is she is raised by the elves in Evergreen Forest after she is kind of thrown out by her human parents and she, you know... Wants to make good on the people who raised her and save the area she lives in and is, you know, willing to go along with maybe a not great plan in order to try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because none of the other plans have worked. So, you know what? Fuck it. So as as Lord of Neverwinter, Forge has been ordering the forest to be cut down and the yeah. members of the Emerald Enclave caught and killed because they are trying to defend the forest. Now, it's a pretty basic like druid backstory, TBH. Very yeah, very yeah. standard stuff. Again, no boundary pushing here, but none necessary. Hugh Grant <laughs> as Forge Fitzwilliam is the most annoying so much man fun. in existence. He's so much fun. <laughs> like, oh god. Uh, he, the the line that really stood out for me from him was uh when Ed was in a in a room captured in a, like a tentacle spell he's gonna be killed by the sorcerer the like the the wizard witch lady that the evil the evil wizard of the sh of the movie um he's like i really wish this could have gone differently i really don't want to see you die so i'm gonna leave the room yeah. <laughs> or, i didn't really understand why people would want to be a father until i became one and you found out you can shape these young beings into a reflection of yourself i'm almost like a god I'm a lord and I'm a god and a lord. <laughs> yeah. He's such a narcissist and he's like such a petty criminal. Like he's very much petty villain, but he is the memorable villain. Yes. He is willing to let the entire city of Neverwinter get turned into an Udden army in exchange for a bunch of gold. Yeah. The stuff he yeah. can take in a boat. Like guy is an asshole. <laughs> By the way, we uh, decided to do this today instead of paying attention to the news that former President Donald Trump has been arraigned and is being charged with 35 crimes. <laughs> Sorry, 34. Uh, uh, which is good. Unrelated, you know? I guess. Well, <laughs> good, good that uh, maybe like criminals and criminals who are politicians can actually face charges and face consequences. Uh, there was a line that I kind of noticed in this movie from Forge that was like, it is not the role of government to stand in the way of what the people want or in the way of rich people to profit <laughs> off of what they want. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, <laughs> he's not a political commentary character, except for the fact that he is. <laughs> yeah, like by virtue of existing, he is he and all of his rich buddies that he is stealing from by virtue of existing are political commentary. <laughs> it's nice. It's not heavy handed. It's just there. And then, of course, we have the sexiest man in the movie. Zank. <laughs> so Zank is not a party member proper. He is somebody they go to to retrieve a doohickey they need to accomplish the task. Yeah. Uh, as you do in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And he just happens to be an extremely sexy, very autistic paladin. <laughs> yes, I was going to say he is art artistic rep. Oh, yeah. I do not traffic in colloquialisms. I do not traffic in colloquialisms. And also, is he going to walk around the boulder? Nope. nope. Just straight over. Straight over. Straight over. <laughs> Man, he walks in such a straight line. 
Yep. Yeah. His deal is he is from the he's from Thane, which is the area that the Red Wizards uh necromanced to fuck. Yeah. Uh, he, but yeah. he is not a part of that society. He's not a Red Wizard. He has escaped and decided to dedicate his he, life to doing good. Yeah. He he escaped yeah, he the had... necromancy spell at like the last minute, and he lost his parents to the attack by the Red Wizards. And he got one tattoo. He, yeah, he seems to be marked somehow by that spell. Uh, it seemed to have left a little bit of himself behind. I think it gave him not immortality, but it seems to have made him live longer. Yes, because that happened like a hundred years yeah. ago. It yeah. slowed his aging in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um. But he now works for the Harpers, like fighting tyranny, helping where he can mm-hmm. as this paladin of shining light and goodness and. Like he's very paladin esque, in like I mean, there there is something to be said about paladins being role played as autistic, <laughs> because of how like rule bound they are. It's, I think that's a fairly common trope that people, a lot of people, probably don't notice that they're doing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just I'm just pointing it out. Mm-hmm. It's there, and it's it's very much played up here. He's also, yeah. also, he's got a dagger that is a sword that shoots the blade. That's pretty <laughs> rad. He's, he's also just uh, too competent to be a main party member. He leaves. Yeah, he's after, too fucking smart. Before the main, before the like climax uh, starts, yeah. because he he would just make things too easy. Is basically the idea. He's an NPC that is of benefit to the party but doesn't stick around yeah he's far too competent he is what edgen would be if he didn't turn to thievery essentially that's like his function as far as like the emotional uh beat that he fulfills in the plot is like he's a harper and he helps people and he's very good at it and edgen feels kind of like a little bit called out by how good he is and that he has faith in him, which he does not feel he has earned. Yeah, that. Yeah. Because let's be honest. He he says a line: "You may have forsaken your oath, but your oath has not forsaken you." Just because you said that sem- that sentence was symmetrical doesn't mean it's not nonsense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's let's switch from characters because I think we've got the everybody that we need to. Kira, she's the daughter. Uh, she gets increasingly less biracial the more she ages. <laughs> she, her uh, skin does lighten quite a bit I as the actors change over time. Now, let's be fair. The actress is biracial. She, I'm, I'm not. Oh, yeah. She yeah. just the baby has significantly darker skin than the the actress who is playing the child, and it's hard yeah. for me not to notice. I think they just cast a baby that was a little bit too dark skinned. <laughs> <laughs> not like in general. This is not an insult. This movie actually <laughs> goes out of its way to have diversity, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Both the sexiest man in the universe and the <laughs> shittiest sorcerer in the universe are are black. Yeah. Um, and Michelle Rodriguez is obviously like the female lead of the movie. Like this is. Oh yeah. This is a thing that probably made some people mad, also. But fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's she's fine. She's barely in the movie, honestly. She's fine. Yeah. She has an invisibility necklace. It kind of it comes up a little bit. It's well telegraphed. Yeah. This movie does not but, uh, expect you to not. It, it, you know exactly what's going to happen with each emotional beat, and they do. But they do a really good job of cramming as many story tropes of D anD D into this movie, and it all flows together really well, shockingly mm-hmm. well. It's it's well put together. One of the great. The cinematography is great. Yeah. The, everything. It's good. You it's can good see 
what's going on. Yes, everything is bright. Uh. It's bright. It's bright. God, it's so bright in a great <laughs> way. It's no, no more of this dark fantasy where nobody can see anything. No, it's bright. We know what's going on. They're in a dark cave with a bunch of lava. You can uh, you can see everything. You you know that that's a pile of bones. That fat fucking dragon, <laughs> you, you can see the color of its scales. It's beautiful. Uh. Do we want to talk about the fat fucking dragon now? Fat dragon. Oh. So they go into the Underdark to get this helmet of basically anti-magic uh, to break the seal on, on the vault uh, that Forge is keep, supposedly keeping all of the treasures. And when they're down there, Zank fights a bunch of uh, assassins sent from Thane to stop them. And then as they're like, they can't kill these assassins because they're all undead. But Zank does a very admiral. He, he fights them all beautifully. And then it's like, oh, round two. And then they all have to run away because there's a giant dragon that's just been living in this cave that they didn't know about. And it is so pudgy. Yeah. <laughs> Holga points out that is a pudgy dragon. <laughs> it's... It, 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 it's like a roly pole. You know, have you ever seen there? Okay. There's a beautiful YouTube anim- series of animated shorts of like balloon animals where it's like, <laughs> what if animals were bouncy ball? Like just <laughs> Beach balls inflated. This thing moves like those. It rolls around so much. It just slides. It is It is such a fat dragon. And, so and you know, going into a Dungeons and Dragons movie, they're going to they're gonna have a dragon. You can't not have a dragon. It'll probably be in a yeah. dungeon somewhere. That's obvious. And yet, they did something with this that was actually fun and clever and unique and not the same fucking dragon fight I've seen a million times. Bravo. Yeah. Fat dragon. It shows up it shows up like a very very smaug esque. Like it's a red dragon, it's got a face coming out of the shadows, it's very ominous. And then you see this thing like heaving itself through the wall and it's just so roly poly. Big dragon. It's still very dangerous. It's still a fucking dragon. But most of the fight involves the main characters trying to, like, climb to places the fat dragon can't reach because it's too big. And trying not to get eaten. They're just trying not to get eaten. They do some interesting things with dragon breath in this movie, too that I think should be mentioned. They, their dragons are a little bit unique. Um, they, we see early on there's an ancient battle with, like, there's some dragon, I think it spits, like, globules of acid or maybe stone. It's kind of unclear, um, but it, it's a little bit different. There there are acid-breathing dragons in D&D. This one, uh, it doesn't just shoot fire breath. It breathes explosive gas and then sparks that from its throat to breathe fire, which is a very biological approach to uh dragons um that's that's um it's not a it's not a new idea but it is a different idea from what you usually see where it's just like oh stream of fire yes and it allows and they actually use it against them the dragon later in the sequence exactly Mm -hmm. very cleverly that's one of the very fun sequences in the movie (laughs) i mean the moment that most exemplifies this as a D&D movie to me is the they're setting up a plan to break into the vault and the thing with D&D one of the fun things about tabletop games in general is you have all of these pre-built like magical items that are constrained to specific limitations but if you are if you apply a bit of imagination and ingenuity to them 
you can accomplish some really crazy stuff with these items. And this movie has an entire sequence where they are building a plan to get into the vault and they can't use the, the helmet that will break the seal. So they realize that, oh, if we put a portal onto a piece of treasure and smuggle it into one of the carts that's going to deposit treasure into the vault, then we can use the portal from outside the vault and just get inside without having to deal with the seal on the doorway. And it goes through this whole heist movie style sequence where everybody is contributing in their own little ways to accomplishing this goal. And it's just a lot of fun. It's very well put together in terms of its pacing and editing and the comedy and it pays off in a really fun way where the plan fails towards the end so they fall back to the original plan but then both plans succeed at the same time and it ends up being like the key to understanding what Forge's whole plan is in the end. I've seen this movie and I can't remember who said this so I'm sorry I'm stealing your sentiment but I've seen this movie described as a heist movie where the characters actually have to deal with the heist going wrong. <laughs> and that's a really good description of it. It is a movie where people have to make plans and instead of doing the, but our real plan was blank, they just kind of have to wing it. They just have to deal with whatever has <laughs> happened because they don't have all of the information going into any given situation. But they've got some gumption. Mm-hmm. Yep. They know how to improvise. Which is the core of tabletop RPGs. Exactly. It is an improv-heavy plot, but not an improv-heavy movie. This is the yeah. benefit. They are, everything is written. That is good. Yeah. It's got <laughs> a pretty tight script. I don't think there's anything in particular that doesn't get paid off in some way by the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it knows what it needs to accomplish and it and it does what it needs to do. And I got to respect that. Other things worth noting, there is a cameo of the cast of the old D&D cartoon. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> really? They are Oh, wait, is that the other people in the maze? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so funny. They are one of the other teams. So, near the end of the movie, uh the gang gets roped into the games, the extremely deadly games. Uh, because their plan's not going exactly as they'd hoped. Uh, and the other team competing, one of the other teams competing, is just straight up the cast from the D&D cartoon. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> at last we saw them, they were fine. Were they? Okay, that's okay. good. I wasn't sure if they were the ones who were getting eaten or not. Uh, no, no, they were the ones in the cage at the end. Uh, okay. That's the last we see of them. We'll just ignore the fact that everybody in that <laughs> space probably got turned into a zombie. Um... <laughs> Uh, the ultimate villain, of course, is the evil sorceress. This is not a villain that is, uh, or this is not a movie that is interested in, like, layered villains with complicated motivations. They're evil. They're evil people. Yeah, that mm -hmm. want to do bad things. Which, like, an evil wizard doing evil shit, like, that's pretty quintessential big bad evil guy of a tabletop RPG. Some, some GMs will make more complicated characters, but sometimes it's just a wizard did it. A wizard is doing bad things. You got to go kill the wizard because they're going to eat everybody or turn them into zombies or whatever. Like, that's classic. And 
That works. Yeah. Forge's goal is I want money. And also I have grown fond of having a daughter, so I'm going to continue to kidnap this one. Uh, <laughs> and the Red Wizard's motivation is the Red Wizards want to turn everybody into zombies as a part of their zombie army. That's kind of like the extent of it. I mean, yep. yeah. she does some really rad magic tricks around that. Yeah. Final battle sequence, the, uh, extremely solid. That really cool yeah. portrayal of Mage Hand in this movie. Well, it was Bigby's Arcane Hand, uh, which is the uh, basically the spell slot version of Mage yes. Hand. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what the <laughs> name of that being better version of it was, but yeah, the, mm-hmm. the magic hands in this movie are very cool. Yeah, uh, they have a whole like arm wrestling fight with giant magical hands, and it's extremely cool. And it looks cool. Uh, That's the impressive part, is that they yeah, actually uh, make all of this stuff look cool and not just extremely the, lame. The hands are look very distinct. You know exactly whose is whose. Uh, Simon, our sorcerer, is just... Like his is like made of many, many, many rocks that he pulled out of the ground, while hers is like a big, horrible flesh hand. Just to be clear, um, not just like the, a normal hand, like like rotting, like red flesh. Not just like it looks like her hand. How scary! <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a horrible necrotic muscle hand. Necromancers, we don't like them. Yeah. However, I did kind of appreciate that this movie doesn't have a hard no on necromancy. <laughs> yeah. It has a well, soft so... yes on necromancy, actually. You can do a little bit of necromancy as a treat. But, but, yeah, so one of the reasons necromancy in D&D, well, one of the nice things about this movie is it portrays magic as being pretty common. Not everybody can do it, but it is definitely common enough that it's part of people's everyday lives. It's just kind of casually in the background of things, or there's all sorts of creatures that are just kind of around, and you you have this very clear... It's very Detective Pikachu in that, like, creatures, Pokemon, other species that are not human, they're just here. And that's cool, and it's just that's normal. And so, like, the use of magic, um, there's impressive stuff, but there's also just people doing whatever. Like, trying to pickpocket. I actually, yeah, I, I lost my train of thought here, but one thing that comes to mind is um, Simon, when we meet him, he's basically doing petty tricks. Uh, he's like showing off, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sorcerer. I will show you magic. And the audience is really unimpressed the whole time he's doing magic badly so that he can magically pickpocket everything out of <laughs> their pockets. Uh, but the critical role reference comes in with when he does press the, digi- press the digitation to create the smell of fresh cut grass. Fresh Cut Grass is the name of a character, a robot character, in the camp in Campaign Three of Critical Role. I forgot about Fresh Cut Grass. <laughs> I love Fresh Cut Grass, and I was wondering why they said it so many times so clearly. Yep, it was a good gag. You guys love Fresh Cut Grass. Here's Fresh Cut Grass. It was great, and the audience is not impressed. <laughs> not impressed by Fresh Cut Grass. Uh, the magic, the way the magic works, is also oh. something that you, it can't solve all your problems, except for if you get the very special doodad. Yeah, this movie does something with magic that is nice in that it doesn't seem like there's a limit on how much magic you can do because the limitations on how much magic you can cast per day in D&D is very much a game mechanic thing and not a fun thing for a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This movie knows what stuff to change to just make it a story and not a game. And that's great. Exactly. It, it only ever explains as much as you need to understand what's happening as 
the audience. Like, part yeah. of what makes the 2000 D&D movie so terrible is that they spend so much of it just expositing to each other all of mm. this useless information that is from the setting, but, like, not helpful in terms of telling the story at all. <laughs> Actually, Lexi, you should probably watch this soon, and we should just do another fucking <laughs> D&D episode so I can justify having to put myself and my husband through that. Um, <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Something that I did like about this movie is they had, uh, regarding magic, was they very clearly ca- had featured a bunch of iconic spells. Mm-hmm. Um, they they didn't have them named. It's not like oh, it, it was not like an anime where they're shouting the names of their moves or spells or whatever. But like Harry I Potter. saw chain lightning, <laughs> <laughs> I saw chain lightning. I saw magic missile. I saw shield or like a better version of shield because shield in five E is terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was invul- uh, globe of invulnerability that they got stuck in um there's big these arcane hand uh these are just off the top of my head i think there was some burning burning hands there was like um probably awaken not not awaken that's a different spell but like she summoned a dragon out of a statue which um i think there there's a spell that you could probably get away with doing that or you could just do a summoning spell um and flavor is some flavor 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 um what else uh there was reverse gravity there was time stomp Time stop um, is actually very that important features, to the plot, which is yeah. Solid. Time stop happens multiple times, mm-hmm. bunch of stuff, and it's also clear why they can't resurrect his wife because revival spells in D anD D are not to say common, but like they cost money. They cost like three hundred gold worth of diamonds, but these guys are fairly rich thieves. At the point where his wife dies, they would be able to pay for it for a revival spell of that kind, and it's clear that that would have been an option if she had not been stabbed by a red wizard's knife, which specifically prevents resurrection magic, except for this super special tablet that is part of the core plot of the movie. Essentially, it's, it's a poison that you can't be healed from. Or... It seems like magic, but magic poison or whatever. It reminds it's me It's part lot of the of, knife, but yeah. Uh, for fans of the Adventure Zone, the way Hurley and Sloane go out is mm. like, oh no, this poison, which can't be healed by any cleric. It's just a handy type of thing to have on hand uh in yeah in tabletop role-playing games like a no this is for real guys button um yeah like like whatever the fuck sephiroth's sword is made of that makes phoenix down not work um for now don't get me started on explaining ko as a status effect in final fantasy 7 occasionally i will bring up things too intentionally annoying him like how the ending of lost was just all of them being on purgatory on the island uh he's holding he's trying so hard not to say anything it's very cute um (laughs) i'm also thinking like hang on that's not quite what happened no god i'm the only one who hasn't seen all of lost i feel like i'm gonna get locked in a room and forced to watch the whole thing at some point i'll do fringe instead lost is really good when you when you rewatch it, surprisingly, with the ending in mind, even though it was very unsatisfying at the time. Yeah, like Homestuck. Um, <laughs> Homestuck is good. My <laughs> Hot take, Homestuck is good. Let's go all back around to actually talking about the thing we're talking about here. How the fuck did I get on this tangent? Uh, oh, right. We were talking about having people die in ways that are permanent and obvious, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, clear and obvious setup for somebody else to get stabbed with one of those real bad knives. Yeah. And if you've seen the cast that... list, you already know. 
<laughs> there's one person in the main party who gets killed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Just about every fucking movie. Spoilers. She gets better. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is her. It's, it's zero surprise. I think this is her third appearance on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez, finally in something we can unequivocally say is good and worth her time being there. Yeah, Definitely. she's great in this movie. Yes. Thank you. Michelle Rodriguez for holding out to be in the version of this character you play that I can actually get on board with on the podcast. She always puts her her best in no matter the role, but this is actually a movie worthy of her talent. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she ends up dying and she dies really well. She dies a, a very honorable like she she's very like she's pretty she's happy with how her how she dies. And then they bring her back with this tablet and it's like we had this big emotional beat and now we've got to choose between dead wife of many years and very recently dead co-parent whom we love and adore. And we choose Michelle Rodriguez. And she's like, why did you waste it on me? But she also seems pretty happy that they used it on her, which, you know, reasonable. I think everybody in this movie, <laughs> except for maybe Druid, has a, Durig rather, has a Doric. bad case of the, I'm not as important to everybody I care about as they are to me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does yeah. seem to be uh, a running theme throughout the movie. I did compare this but earlier. That's, that's part of what makes the found family so strong. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I did compare this earlier to Guardians of the Galaxy. Similar uh, vibes in like, this is a bunch of fuck-ups doing things that are questionably moral for the right reasons. And in the end, they do good whether or not that's really what they set out to do. <laughs> I, I loved that that just reminded me of right at the end, near the end of the movie, they're sailing, they're, all of them are sailing away with the treasure and his da- daughter and they're, they're happy. They're like, we've done it. We've saved the day. We've, we've, we've done we've, what we set out to do. And then they look back and they see this like horrible death spell being cast above the city. And they're like, ah, shit. <laughs> they all go, they have to turn around. That was it's one great. of the moments that I, that really sold me. I mean, on this movie being not just good but great is that there isn't a fucking discussion there because most movies would have a like a a bit of a conversation there where they have to talk each other into going back and doing the right thing and in this it's he notices that there's a thing everybody shares a look and they turn the boat around that's all they need (laughs) that's all you need we already know they're gonna go do the right thing don't don't spend Uh. time on the there's there's also no like hidden identity shit which is really common in these kind of narratives there is a, we didn't get the whole story about how the wife died, but it's, like, highly telegraphed and yeah. not, like, a huge, like, it doesn't really change how you feel about anybody. It's just, like, oh, so that's why he's slightly more guilty about it than it seems reasonable. But we do get one hilarious scene of uh, illusion magic. <laughs> yes! Oh, that was so good. Major image. That was great. Uh <laughs> Simon uh, casts an image of Edgen playing the lute to distract the guards so they can sneak very into the effectively. Palace. It's originally very well done, uh, and then he gets <laughs> yeah. his foot stuck he gets in a rock. And because it's a concentration spell, it starts falling apart because he's trying to get his foot unstuck. Which is excellent it's, foreshadowing. It's for horrifying how to distract the evil wizard from her dragon spell. Yes, mm-hmm. you're right. It plants that hey, magic. You need you need to fucking pay attention to make it work right. And then not too long after, it's like I'm gonna shoot a pepper ball into this bitch's face because that'll stop her from making a stone dragon that's gonna eat my friend Chris. 
<laughs> uh, Misty Step happens right after that. That's another spell that I noticed in this movie. Yes. There's um, a lot there a few times. for longtime fans, but also I want to make it really clear, this is an extremely approachable movie. If this yeah. didn't have the Dungeons and Dragons branding on it, it would be just as good as a, like, again, just a fantasy comedy adventure movie, which we just want. I just want more of in general. Yeah. Like, that's already what I want, and this movie went ahead and did that very well. Any more important thoughts before we kind of wrap up this uh, just very special bonus level episode of Video Game the Movie the Podcast? Because we have talked about it for, you know, over an hour. Oh, uh, there was a... So when they're going down into the Underdark to uh, find this helmet that's been protected down there. They need to cross this bridge uh, that uh, is, we get this explanation of this very complicated, important, like it's a puzzle. They have to like do this very complicated sequence of, of steps to properly like not have the entire bridge just collapse under them. And Zenk is giving it, it's just very matter of factly, nobody's following it. And it's, it's very funny because in RPGs, puzzles often play some kind of role, particularly when doing some kind of dungeon delve. And it can, <laughs> a lot of the time, the puzzles in feel, but a lot of the time puzzles in RPGs feel really complicated and you'll spend as players hours trying to solve a puzzle. When in actuality, the GM, the game master, went and found like a first grade riddle or puzzle, something that's literally aimed at first graders and put it in the game with some reflavoring. But it feels really complicated. And he's just rattling it off in the in this ridiculous way. And then they immediately screw it up immediately and have to find a different route. And it's I, I that just felt very, very D&D, very fun. Yes. And much like D&D, the way that they get around it is by having already found a convenient object. Yeah, they they didn't know they had effectively the portal gun from from Portal. That's what it is. It's a portal gun. Uh, it's a staff. It's a portal gun. I love it. Uh, gate. It basically casts gate, even though it's better than uh, rules as written gate. But that's because this movie is better than <laughs> rules as written D&D. &D. <laughs> that's our review from Lexi. Better than rules as written D&D. &D. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, do you have final thoughts? I think before we go, I do want to highlight some of the practical effects in this movie. Yes. Because yes. there are so many opportunities that they could have just done CGI. They have multiple Dragonborn characters uh, that show yes. up in the background throughout this movie. There's an Aarakocra, which is the bird person we talked about earlier. His name's John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, named after the writer of the movie. Uh, there's a couple... Or director, one of those. A couple cat people that show up. Tabaxi. Yeah, Tabaxis. I want to highlight the Tabaxi specifically. They're fursuits. They're, just, they're great quality yeah, they're fursuits. Literally fursuits. But there is a Tabaxi. <laughs> specifically in our introduction to Zank, he rescues mm -hmm. a Tabaxi kitten from the inside of a fish <laughs> a giant fish ate this like baby and he talks the he talks the fish into opening up and 
that the, the mother tabaxi cat lady is very very happy maybe, maybe, maybe speak really with animals spell probably probably speak with animals. yeah that's probably what it but was anyway the the effects they choose to do these practical effects so there are suits and animatronics and they all look extremely good and they i think are probably helped along by a little bit of digital uh touch up yeah but like Regardless, they they fit the environment of the movie extremely well, and they are a clear example that the people who made this knew what to put the budget into. Mm-hmm. Chris Pine. Actually, wait, he's an executive <laughs> producer, so I don't know if that counts. Um, but uh, notably, all of the uh, notably all of the the actors of the main cast played as their characters in an actual D and D game before doing the movie. Oh. That's so sweet. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, something else that I want to mention, uh, there was an interview with just Simon, Simon's character. Justice Smith. Um, Justice Smith. Uh, for his spell casting, he did like flourishy sign language for all of his spells. I thought his hand movements looked too specific. Uh, not too specific, but too specific to be nothing. Um, yeah, that was, that was a choice that he made of like, I'm going to do sign language and then make it flourishy like i'm casting a spell and that's a very cool touch cool touch everybody kind of puts a little flair into their characters and you can feel it i want to point out sets and costumes also in addition to yes. the, like, practical effects really good everything looks really cool it's not trying too hard to be like historically accurate in any particular way so it's allowed to have fun with itself yeah and like D most of the time isn't gonna be historically accurate you just have the aesthetics of like history on a fantasy realm and in a lot of movies maybe maybe in some movies that like having that strong history like historical precedent is good but this movie is just like it's it's fine it works all the costumes are gorgeous costumes are beautiful uh sets are beautiful and also it goes out of its way to have some nice pretty landscape shots everybody loves a nice pretty landscape shot (laughs) yes uh they shot most of this movie in northern ireland yeah I mean, I was really happy with how this movie came out. I've been kind of optimistic about it since the first trailers dropped. And Mm -hmm. I mean, embargo lifted way early. People were super jazzed about it. And I'm happy to report that this movie, good, actually. Uh, yeah, I went into this movie pretty like I, I was I was careful to not go into this movie too like high on it because I am skeeved out a bit by Hasbro's shenanigans and I didn't want to be biased or whatever, um, especially as like a fan. But it's it's good. It's good. I'm very, very happy. Yes, we are also uh, coming up very shortly here on the Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, so I'm glad we saw a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of excited for the Super Mario Brothers movie. At least certain aspects of it. I think they might be cramming too many things into it. But I think there's some cool ideas. I like the the freaking star being super dark and broody. I don't know. Here's my general take here. This movie was good. I don't think it was trying to do too many things at once, which I think is a really common flaw for an adaptation like this. 
It focuses mm-hmm. on the thing it's about and the characters it's about, and it doesn't try to make it be every D&D movie could possibly be at once. And I liked it. Which is good because the filmmakers have said they might be interested in doing something in one of the other D&D settings. That'd be cool. Get some Dragonlance in there. Yeah. That'd probably be the next one. Most likely. There's, or Greyhawk, uh, but like Dragonlance is bigger, probably. This is a big, very popular, uh, you know, movie. It's doing well. Uh, it's not like absolutely breaking the charts or anything, but like solid performance. I would recommend seeing it in theaters while it's out because it is like yeah. a big action spectacle kind of movie and it has some moments where that benefits. I wouldn't say it's like not going to be good to watch at home though because most of it is, again, pretty funny and lightweight. So, you know, see it when you can see it. Any any closing remarks? I took notes for this movie and my notes are completely unreadable because I was in a dark theater. <laughs> Sad, that, that is, is one of the problems about us watching new movies is that we don't have any notes. I didn't even try. But movie's fun. It, oh, a uh, couple couple monsters that I actually really, really liked one of their monster designs for this movie. The Displacer Beast in the maze. Oh, yes. Very good. Um, yeah, Displacer Beasts in D&D, they're pretty iconic alongside the Gelatinous Cube, which also shows up <laughs> in this movie and is actually part of their plan to escape, uh, their improvised plan. Uh, but Displacer Beasts are like weird panther things that have tendrils and they they hunt and one of the things they're known for is they um in dnd they're just like a little bit their their actual body is invisible and they project a, a themselves a, vi- a vision of themselves like slightly off set so that they are harder to hit i really liked what this movie did was it's not invisible it can project an illusion of itself and it hides around corners and uses its projection to help it trap prey I thought that was really clever, and the way they visualized it was really, really good. Yes, that was great. The gelatinous cube, also great. Uh, Didn't do much because they're gelatinous cubes, but they're fun to have (laughs) around. They don't go with a beholder, and I'm grateful for that because I'm I'm not convinced you could make a beholder look good (laughs) in live action, maybe, but I don't think think they needed it, and it felt like I kind of kept waiting for it to show up because it's so iconic iconic but yeah they mentioned a beholder <laughs> i think it's all the better to not try to shove everything yeah in, you know 100 percent uh, i think you probably could do a good beholder but i think you would need to do a lot of animatronic work mm-hmm. and augment it with cgi yeah they're a very tricky design here's the thing about the original beholders designs. are a pile of eyes <laughs> original designs in dungeons and dragons are bad like the original ones are bad because the original designs mm. were all character art like designed by four dudes in the basement based on figurines they got like through bad mail order companies like it's not (laughs) they're not good designs owl bears look like fucked up ducks like (laughs) you can still i think find pictures from the first like um the first guidebook for the first edition of D and D, and the the illustrations in that are hilariously bad. So I I want to see this now. I'm trying to find some. So making changes, I'm fine to do that. We don't need everything to be exactly the same as long as what you're making it is good. <laughs> Make your dragons <laughs> fat. Yes, the fat dragon. Make your panther beasts visible. Just make them interesting to look at, and we'll be more happy to be there. And this movie, interesting to look at. Yeah, great movie. Filled with sexy people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're not being sexy in like a, 
we're being sexy way. They're being sexy because they exist doing cool things. Yeah. The movie does. Which is the best way to be sexy. I will say, the one thing this movie definitely lacks that most tabletop RPGs I have experienced tend to have is there is a lot less horny energy in this. This is a very, <laughs> very PG-13 Max kind of movie. Yeah. They do some swearing, but there, there's not any... Uh, the bard is not seducing anybody. He's too busy being sad about his dead wife. <laughs> uh, I did like them. They mentioned that way early in the movie, uh, he had a little bit of that kind of energy though he and holga are assumed to be married by a bartender and they're just like oh no what and she just flat out insults him like his uh his lips are too big they don't match your face and he's like a lot of people like my lips (laughs) (laughs) which made me feel a little bit of that like quintessential horny bard representation oh, mm-hmm. another movie this vaguely reminds me of el dorado this has a little bit of el dorado oh it does, it does a little bit yeah a bunch of a bunch of idiots on a quest everybody loves idiots on a quest <laughs> this is a good idiots on a quest movie uh <laughs> they find doohickeys they fight bad guys and they do it in style so yeah, that is Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. It's a very fun movie, and they did a great job of taking some of the core mechanical elements from the tabletop game and translating them in a way that uh, adds to the movie rather than distracting from what's going on. Oh, one more thing. This is technically a board game movie? Uh, I, I, I suppose guess. we may do some more board game movies in the future if people are interested. There's definitely some of those, both good and bad, that we could look into. Yeah, Mostly bad, but fun. there are mm-hmm. some good ones. Yep. Again, though, D and D does have video games, so this technically works. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for coming back and listening to Video Game, the movie, the podcast. We're going to try to get back on the horse of this, get back on the, the, the D&Ds. They have horses, but I don't think there's any other really interesting mounts. I, I had a D&D world where uh, there were giant armadillos. Well, we'll get back on that armadillo and ride it into some more content for y'all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I apologize that there hasn't been an episode in like over a year. That's my fault. I just haven't been editing. <laughs> Uh, we've been busy on and off and it's been hard to get back into it but I will try my best to get back on a regular schedule and hopefully we can have some more episodes out for you soon hell yeah did you guys give your ratings for this movie oh Oh, we haven't yet um Let's wrap up with some ratings. So I, I want you guys to go because I'm not I'm not drawing anything right now. I've got one. Okay. Uh, four out of five idiots going on an adventure. The fifth one walked off in an extremely straight line, <laughs> but is still here. <laughs> so. I give this movie a really nice axe dipped in molten iron. <laughs> I give this movie uh, all of my spill slots. <laughs> and that'll be it for us today i am mackenzie again you can find me at kenzie phoenix on twitter or uh, also on instagram where i post some of my art and whatnot uh she's got really good art totally passable fakemon art it's it, getting they're better very the good time. pokemon good good art it's good art you've gotten so much better i'm so proud of you Aww. i've 
seen her art since oh, yeah. I was like 15. Yeah. The, and yeah, Lexi's it's some great. Of the worst stuff. You probably <laughs> can find some scratch books in here. <laughs> Go find if you can find her deviant art page, you'll find some not great stuff. Actually, some fine. It's fine. I have, it's like I have fine. two deviant art accounts. I have the one that I posted all of my childhood and teen stuff to, and then I have one I have scrubbed clean and started putting my uh, <laughs> my new stuff on. For, uh, Your gr- good and excellent Pokemon art. So if you want to find the secret Deviant Art page, <laughs> DM, DM somebody. Nathan, uh, I am Nathan. You can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerdtram. While Twitter still exists, yeah, you. we'll we'll yeah we'll see. Uh, and you can find this podcast on Twitter at VGTM Podcast or VGTM Pod. It's one of those two. Lexi. Uh, Lexi? Uh, I am Lexi Conwell. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Conwell Creative or Twitter at Conwell underscore Alex. Neither of these places are th- places that where I post freely much of anything. Look, I am really bad at social media and I hate social media, uh, especially now that Twitter is on fire. <laughs> For good reason. Let it burn down. But Dice Weep. Yes, and I also run an actual play podcast where we do a lot of tabletop RPG shenanigans with these two and a couple other people uh, called Dice Weave. You can also find that on Twitter at, at Dice Weave Pod. But we are best found on Podbean, which is under the same name, Dice Weave. Dice Weave, notably one word, not two. I think that's a common mistake. We just released our 18th episode of the new season, which is... So that's what, 30, 34, over 40 episodes, I think, of Dice Weave. Been running for a couple of years. If you like the Birdman, Jonathan, we've got Birdmen too. <laughs> yeah, there are Birdmen in in the new season of Dice Weave. I won't spoil too much, but uh, they, there are Birdmen. Highly breakable knees. Their, their <laughs> knees are extremely breakable. Uh, knees, kneecap privileges are one of our bits of them getting revoked. Yeah apparently it's been happening it's happened twice and that is weird that it's happened <laughs> twice i'd have two nickels if i had a number for the amount of knees uh, amount of times someone's knees have been broken not the number of knees broken because then you'd have four <laughs> yeah i'd have four three or four i don't actually know specifically how many knees the the second one were broken how many but knees can we make them there, there are enough knees being broken in, in Dice Weave. It's a good show. Uh, it's definitely not fantasy, although it might sometimes be fantasy because that's the nature of a genre-hopping show. And uh, uh, we're mm-hmm. super glad that you guys have listened to this episode. Tell your friends if you have any, and if you don't, that's fine. I don't either. <laughs> um, uh, and as always, game over, man. Game over! <laughs> don't forget to save... Please save scum. You need it in this world of fire and flames. <laughs>